Now look, I don't mind if you sit out there. Just don't ask me to raise my voice. You can hear me? Oh. I guess I'll tone it down. Uh, see, everybody has, a, has something to say. Okay, I would like to say something about something that we all know. Nevertheless, I think it's worth looking into again. If you look at the first source on the sheet, the source relates to the hate, to the transgression of Moshe Rabbeinu. That tremendous transgression that prevented Moshe Rabbeinu from coming into Eretz Yisrael and settling in Beit Shemesh. This is what the Pasuk says. Take the staff and bring together the entire community, you and Aaron, and you, the two of you, will speak to the rock. Before the eyes of B'nai Israel, you know B'nai Israel, they were complaining, there was nothing to drink, you know, they had this in them, which has remained with us genetically, you know, this tremendous capacity to complain about something that you really shouldn't complain about. In any event, Vinatan and then the, war, the rock is going to give out a lot of water, and you're going to take the water, Vishkita eta eida iran, and you'll give a drink to the whole community and to their and to their flocks. That's the first the first two pesukim, pasuk tet. And Moshe Rabbeinu takes the staff. You know, the staff is something special. Moshe Rabbeinu used the staff in the Shrayim when, uh, uh, when he produced the makot, the plagues against the Egyptians. The staff has a special, a special place. But we're not going to talk about that now. Just mention that it's something to think about. So Moshe Rabbeinu took the staff Pasuk Yud. They brought everybody together at this rock. And he started off, he said to them, listen to me, you kind of rebellious ones. That's what he called them. He called them rebellious. That's an important thing to remember because many Rishonim bring that up. Like, why did he say that? Why did he have to give them a name? Call them in there. What do you think? You think we can get water out of this rock? That's what Moshe Rabbeinu said. And then he raises his hand, you know, has the staff in it, and he beats down upon the the cella, upon this rock, not once but twice. That's also a word that all the Rishonim, I'm just remembering Rashi, right? You should remember. You should remember Rashi. You should remember Rashi. It's a good thing to remember. What you learn when you're a child, you never forget. 
So if you didn't learn Rashi when you were a child, make sure that your children learn Rashi as children. They'll never forget it. So he says, Twice, a lot of water came out and they all drank. They drank there, the sheep drank. Pasuk Yudbet, Vayom Hashem Moshev Laron. Ah, and HaKadosh Baruch looks down upon all of this and makes the following remarkable statement to Moshe and Aharon. Ya'an lo he'emantem bi. Ya'an lo he'emantem bi. You did not believe in me. What didn't they believe in him about, in God about? Mystery. Lakdisheni. <coughs> This is their transgression. They did not sanctify God's name. There isn't a word in this pasuk which is easily comprehensible. Not a word. And the Rishonim already pointed out, what do you think? You think that if you talk to the rock, it's a bigger miracle than if you hit the rock? And water comes out of it. All the Rishonim asked that question. The Barbanel summarizes it at length. And he says, he says, well, what is it? What is it that there was, what was the problem? What caused this low You did not sanctify my name. What was the opportunity that Moshe Rabbeinu had? He could have spoken to the rock. And he said he hit the rock. So when he hit the rock and the water came out, didn't all the people say, wow, look at that. Water coming out of a rock. Whoever saw water coming out of a rock? So that the, who was it that didn't know, that, that knew that Moshe Rabbeinu had changed something? Just him? Just Moshe Rabbeinu? Your punishment is going to be, and you can't, we can't even imagine what a punishment this is. Because Moshe Rabbeinu dedicated his entire life to Aliyah. Can you imagine that? And he was on the verge of success. Everybody was about to enter Eretz Yisrael. Everybody. And HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, but not you. You didn't participate in the Chayda Egel? Yes. You have nothing to do with the Miraglim? Yes. But you're not going to go into Eretz Yisrael because you did not sanctify God's name. All of these ideas are very difficult for us. What does that mean? What do you mean to sanctify God's name? How do you sanctify God's name? And how do you do all of those things? Now, if you look at the next uh, entry, Moshe Rabbeinu in Dvarim, you know Dvarim, the beginning of the book of Dvarim, Moshe Rabbeinu summarizes a lot of things that happened in the past. For whatever reason. There's also a machloket Rishonim about what the reason that Moshe Rabbeinu went to all this trouble to summarize things in the book of Dvarim. Some people say, some people say it was Musar. You know what Musar is? Musar is, you say to somebody, you think you're unhappy? I'm going to make you a lot more unhappy. <laughs> That's called Musar. That's called Musar. And very often in yeshivot, 
there's somebody, a person, they pick the unhappiest person, and you, they put him in charge of making everybody else unhappy. So Moshe Rabbeinu, some say, was doing that. He was making everybody unhappy. How do you make everybody happy? And they're going to go to everything. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, oh, you did this, and you did that. Remember, they were just about to forget. They were just about able to forget that they built the, the golden calf that they rejected, that they sent the Miraglium, the spies there. It is about they're ready to forget it. Moshe Rabbeinu says, ah, now I want you to remember. I remember, you think you are, you're okay? Just remember how bad you were, how terrible it was. So the Ramban, in his commentary, disagrees with this point of view. And he says, though, that Moshe Rabbeinu was telling people how gracious HaKadosh Baruch Hu was with their transgressions. That in spite of what they did, HaKadosh Baruch Hu forgave them. And that that was the weapon that they should be armed with when they go into Eretz Yisrael. It's a lesson. It's a lesson those of you who study Rav Kook a little bit will understand. Understand that, 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 that it's, there's a question of attitude. Like, what is it you think you're doing? Rav Kook said, of course, if you're building Eretz Yisrael, that's a tremendous merit. It's not something that can be easily ignored. It's true. Everybody is some sort of a combination of good things and bad things. But building Eretz Yisrael is the overwhelming good in modernity. That was his political theory. Rav Kook was a very modern kind of person, and you could say political theory when you talk about when you talk about Rav Kook. So Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Gambi Gambi, I was also the subject of divine ire. Biglalchem, because of you. What's a biglalchem? How could Moshe Rabbeinu say that? What did they do? They didn't do anything." In other words, of course, they did something. They complained. They didn't have any water. That was annoying, etc. But Moshe Rabbeinu's sin was something he did on his own. Nobody told him to hit the rock and not to speak to the rock. He did. That was his idea. That had nothing to do with B'nai Yisrael. So what is he saying here, Biglalchem? I can't find a place to put that word. How could Moshe Rabbeinu blame B'nai Yisrael, for the punishment that he, Moshe Rabbeinu, is going to get. Who should be blamed? Moshe Rabbeinu. He did it. Somebody told him to hit the rock and not to speak the rock, speak to the rock. Of course, it all started from B'nai Yisrael. I understand, but that's not exactly Big Lachel. At least that's not what I would imagine. Okay, so we did it. Now I want to tell you, there are a few more sources here. So before you get kind of a little bored with what I'm doing, I want to learn the next section, okay? Stay with it. One more section. The beginning of Etchanan, the second parasha in the book of Dvarim. I beseech God. I pray to God. You know, Rashi, Rashi says, Etchanan, why does the Torah use this word. When there is a perfectly handy word that you could use, hit palel. Why say hit chanan? 
Why use that word? Chanan. Ein chanun bekol makom matnat chinam. You see Rashi? You see Rashi? It's under the word Rashi. And it's in Rashi's script. Is that Rashi's script? Yeah. It's not in Rashi's script. You see that? How clever you are. Ein chanun bekol makom matnat chinam. Chanun is a special word. And you use it to say, I know that I have no merit. I'm not coming to the table like you go to God and you say, listen, can you help me out a little? I need a few shekel every month to like, get through the month, and I don't have anything to invest. That's Hanun. He says, I have no merit. I'm, I'm not making a claim. Even the righteous people can usually say, look, I'm righteous. And since I'm righteous, I should get special consideration in heaven. He says, no, he says, he says, The proper thing when you approach God is not to say, is not to say, I, I, like I, I'm putting in all this time doing the mitzvot, I'm, I'm acting the way I'm supposed to act, I eat what I'm supposed to eat, I do what I'm supposed to do. So, uh, can we have a little consideration from heaven? You shouldn't do that. You should say, you know, tefillah is about expressing yourself, your needs, your way of doing things before God. That's what, that's what tefillah is. It's not, it's not a deal. It's not a deal. You don't have any cards. You don't have anything that you're going to trade for God's appreciation of your efforts. That's what, that's what Rashi that's what Rashi says. Look at the next pasuk. Hashem Elokim atachi lote larotet abdechad God lecha v'yedcha chazaka. Hashem yel b'shamayim v'aretz asher yasekim asher guvurotecha. He says, "I'm. I have awareness." Moshe Rabbeinu says, "I know something. I know that you are, and that even if you would change my fate, I would not change my opinion." Of God, one wit. God would remain. God would remain for me. The power, the strength, the concern, everything about about the word and the world. That's so Rashi. The Chumash says, "Ebrana ve'eret ha'aretz atovash be'eva yadena haratov asev alvanot." So I beseech God. No deal, no presentation, not my frumkite, not how long I said Shvona Esrei, none of that. I just want to go into Eretz Yisrael. And then he says, God remained angry at me and didn't listen. And God said to me, to Moshe Rabbeinu, Rav Lach, it's enough. You have enough. Don't ask me for any more. The next pasuk, pasuk of Zayin, Alei Rosh HaPizgah, Visayin Necha Yama V'Tzafona V'Teimanu M'Zrachu Rebei Necha, Kilota Avorata Yardena Zeh. So what did God say to Moshe Rabbeinu? Go up on the mountain, take a look. Take a look. Is that a nice thing to do? Is Moshe Rabbeinu beseeching God? Just let me go into Eretz Yisrael. Chazal say, why did Moshe Rabbeinu, 
want to go into Eretz Yisrael so much. What was the big deal? I mean, he did the job. He brought B'nai Yisrael to Avot Moab to the entryway into Eretz Yisrael. Yoshua would lead them into that part of Eretz Yisrael where, where we have Yericho. And that'd be the end. It's the end of the job. His job is done. He succeeded. He will go down in history as the great lawgiver and the great succeeder. What was it that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to Chazal say? Chazal, they have this kind of one-track way of doing things. Chazal said, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to do the mitzvot that are connected to Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu understood that fulfillment has something to do with keeping the Torah. And he didn't want his whole life to be spent without being able to keep the Torah in the fullest possible manner. So he said, let me go into Eretz Yisrael. Now you would think, you think Moshe Rabbeinu. I mean, after all, he argued on behalf of B'nai Yisrael after the Chet Ego. He approached God many times in order to ensure that the Jews would continue to be part of history. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made him the offer, let's get rid of all these people, we'll start over again. And you, Moshe Rabbeinu, will be the father of a new nation. And he refused. Didn't want that. He wasn't interested in that, and he prevailed. He prevailed for whatever reason. However you understand it, in the Hasidut, they, they deal with this question very kind of intensely. But Moshe Rabbeinu was able, was able to defend B'nai Israel and to ensure that as a community, no matter what they had done, they would be able to come to Eretz Israel. And here is Moshe Rabbeinu asking for himself, just let me go into Eretz Israel. I won't be the leader. Yoshua will be in charge. I'll just be kind of retired. I'll be the retired leader, but I'll be able to do the mitzvot, the mitzvot that wrote by Eretz Yisrael. That's all I want. And what did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say? No. Pasuk kavchet v'tzavet Yoshua v'chazkeu v'hamtseyu k'hu yavo l'fnei ha'am azeh v'hu yanchil otam et ha'aretz asher te'eh. And to add insult to injury, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, right now, take Yoshua b'nut, appoint him your inheritor, Point them your inheritance. I know this happens all the time in shuls. You know, you, you, you want to get rid of the rabbi, so you don't know exactly how you do it, so what do you do? You hire his replacement. And then you say, you sit here and you sit there. And sooner or later, the old rabbi figures out that he's not the rabbi anymore. Takes a little, <laughs> takes a little time. And we'll learn that from Yoshua Benun. Here, HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, not only are you not leading, you're not only not going into Eretz Israel, you're going to appoint somebody to take over right now. Appoint him immediately. Right? It's very imperial. See the bottom of the page? And HaKadosh Baruch Hu got angry at me because of you, of what you said. He wouldn't let me in to cross over the Jordan. So here's Moshe Rabbeinu again. Moshe Rabbeinu, instead of being friendly, he says, And 
השם את הענף בי על דבריכם לבלתי בואי אל הארץ הטובה אשר השם לכך נותן לך כי אנוכי מות בארץ הזאת אינני עובר את הידים ואתם עוברים ויורישתם את הארץ הטובה He says I'm going to die right here משה רבנו says ישמרו לכם פן תשכחו את ברית השם אלוקיכם etc. So that Moshe Rabbeinu consistently blames B'nai Yisrael for his punishment. So Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't exactly recognize, doesn't recognize who he is, what the punishment is, why he's getting punished, and then he blames B'nai Yisrael. And why, why blame them? They didn't do that. They did something bad. They complained about not having water, but they didn't make Moshe Rabbeinu hit the rock. So we are stuck in our attempt to understand one more section. Turn the page. Turn the page. See this sheet? I learned, I learned you should always make sheets double-sided. And then there's less room to doodle on the page. In the old days, everybody would take the sheet, turn it over, and start making pictures of each other. Now, it's a little harder. Perek Lamed Bet. Perek Lamed Bet. What's the parasha this week? Hazina. Good. By the Be'er Hashem and Moshe, Be'etzem ha'yom hazeh le'mor, Alei el har ha'avarim hazeh har nevo, Asher ba'aretz mo'av, Asher b'nei yirecho, Re'ya d'aretz kenan, Asher n'yitain b'nei yisrael ha'chuzah. Go up on the mountain, take a look, you'll see Eretz kenan. Again, a repeat, of what we already learned, that HaKadosh Baruch said to Moshe Rabbeinu, take a look. Moshe Rabbeinu wants to go to Eretz Yisrael in order to do the mitzvot, at the road Ba'aretz. And he says here, here's a, uh, here's a discovery movie of Israel. You know, you could see it in uh, three dimensions all over the, or if you have this one of these humongous TVs, you could imagine Moshe Rabbeinu and Har Nevoh looking at this television camera. Which, with all of Eretz Yisrael going by, he says, "Umut b'har asher die there, and you will become one of those who died with the rest of the people." As Aaron, achicha b'horahar v'yasef elamav. Al pasuk nun aleph. You see, I'm going to read slowly. Al Hashem altem bi betoch b'nei Yisrael. You deviated. You did the wrong thing. You did not sanctify me. He says, you're going to be able to see Eretz Yisrael from a distance, but you're not going to come there. You're not going to come there at all. Okay, so you know, we have these problems. What's the relationship here that's being described about Moshe Rabbeinu, about Moshe Rabbeinu and his people? What was it, is that for me? <laughs> it's not for me? Nobody ever calls me. <laughs> Nobody wants to call a rabbi. You know, that'd be good could come of it. <laughs> rabbi, I heard that. You know, the people say, I heard that. What do you say, Rabbi? 
Well, I, I say, well, that's the halacha. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, you call yourself a rabbi. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so what, what, what is all this? So I want to tell you what the Rambam says. If Hilchus Yisodia Torah, Perik Aleph, Perik Hey, Perik Hey, the Rambam talks about a mitzvah called Kiddush Hashem. According to the Rambam, there's a mitzvah to sanctify God's name. Now, how do you sanctify God's name? So the Rambam says, if some, he says goy, some, you know, irresponsible fellow comes along and has a gun, and he says, either you eat the ham sandwich or I kill you. Right? So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to eat the ham sandwich. Uh, maybe it's not a ham sandwich. Maybe it's just not a superior kashrus. <laughs> <laughs> but what does the guy know about superior kashrus? You know, he doesn't know. So you're allowed to eat it. That is because the Torah says you're supposed to live. You're not supposed to die. He says, but sometimes, sometimes you're faced with a situation that, that is different. For example, for example, if that guy with the gun wants you to do an idolatrous act, you know, to go to a, a, a thing, a building that belongs to some other religion, to bow down, to do what they do, then you shouldn't do it. The rabbi says, he wants to kill you, kill you. But in, in other words, there is a point at which, at which you deny God so strongly that it's called the Chilul Hashem. And not denying God is called the Kiddush Hashem. That's what the Rambam says. The Rambam in the fifth barrack of Hilchot Yisodei HaTorah, for those of you who, who are going to look it up. So, in the Gemara, in the Gemara, Andrew can tell you this Gemara. In the Gemara, the Gemara wonders about tshuva. The Gemara wonders about how does it work exactly? How does it work? Because there are different psukim that seem to indicate different things about uh, absolution. Like when is it that you get atonement? So the Gemara says, a famous Gemara that says that there are ba'ah, Chalukei Kapara. There are four different levels of atonement. If a person doesn't do a mitzvah that he's supposed to do, like he doesn't shake the lulav, chas He doesn't eat a matzah, chas And he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Then tshuva takes care of it. Tshuva takes care of it. He says if he transgresses a lot, which means he does something that he shouldn't do, then tshuva with Yom HaKippurim somehow takes care of it. If he does a major transgression for which the punishment, say, is, uh, is the death penalty, then in order to, to get a, atonement, to get atonement, you have to have tshuva, Yom HaKippurim, and Yisurim. Are you still with me? That's what you need. And then the Gemara says, and the Rambam says, he says, but, but, if you do Chilul Hashem, 
if you desecrate God's name, if you desecrate God's name, then tshuva, yom kippurim, yisurim, like, you know, affliction, is not enough. The only thing that helps you out, that gets you out of this trouble, is miso, is death. The death of a person who does chilu Hashem, who, who desecrates God's name, atonement comes to him only, only after death. That's what the Gemara says. And that's what the Rambam says. The Gemara continues, it says the most amazing thing. It says, Chilul Hashem, Echidome. What are you talking about? What's Chilul Hashem? What is it that you can't be atoned for unless you have debts? You would think, oh, I don't know, you're in some kind of a place where you're serving idolatry, you're defending wickedness somehow. So the Gemara says, no, quotes Ravina. And Amora quotes Ravina. Ravina says, Ravina says, like me, I avoided, I avoided Chilul Hashem. He says, I went to the butcher, I went to the butcher and I bought some meat. And I paid him. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know. And then there's another opinion Another Amora, another Amora, he said, I went to the butcher and I found that the butcher that I went to was a partnership between two brothers. Right? They both, doesn't say brothers in the Gemara, there was a partnership. Two guys were in charge of the butcher. So I bought meat for two Zeus. Zeus being a small coin, common in those days. I bought meat for two days. I bought meat for two days, so I was very careful. I gave one Zeus to one brother and another Zeus to the other brother in order to make sure that they, each one would not have thought, if I had given the money to one of them, then the other one might have thought that I didn't pay. And that's a chilul Hashem. That's a chilul Hashem, that I wouldn't pay. So what sort of chilul Hashem is it? What's the chilul Hashem? So Rashi says, Rashi explains the Chilul Hashem is that we're talking about Ravina and we're talking about Emoraim, great Torah scholars. And these great Torah scholars had to be models. And what would happen, somebody would say, oh, look at this. Here's a great Torah scholar. He doesn't pay. He doesn't pay. Who knows if he'll ever pay? I mean, he didn't pay today. Maybe I'll pay tomorrow. Tomorrow will come and say, well, I don't have the money yet. I'll get it, you know. So you say, you say to yourself, I mean, the people in the butcher store, they say to themselves, isn't that it's interesting? It must be that there is some exclusion in the Torah which enables them to steal. I mean, after all, they're great scholars, aren't they? They're great scholars. And so the Gemara says that Chilul Hashem is educational. It's about misrepresenting the Torah by implication. It has nothing to do with what you say. It doesn't even have anything to do with what you do. It has only to do with how you are perceived. And how you are perceived is called either a Kiddush Hashem 
or a Chilul Hashem. People will either say about that scholar, they'll either say, oh, what a terrific person following the Torah, doing what the Torah wants him to do, or even if they don't understand, they'll say, oh, he, he's looking to cut a corner. He's trying to get away with it. He's not interested in being 100% right. So if he's not interested, I also could be uninterested. And that's what Chilul Hashem is. Chilul Hashem is when the, the great scholar, the great scholar impresses people with something that they shouldn't be impressed with. So if we get back to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, remember Moshe Rabbeinu from 10 minutes ago? Moshe Rabbeinu. You know what Moshe Rabbeinu did? He did a small thing. He did a very small thing. Moshe Rabbeinu said to B'nai Yisrael, you don't have to be so precise. God said, God said, speak to the rock. I like talked out. I mean, I've been teaching all day long. All I do is talk to Davin and Davin and talk. Maybe I could just take off a little time and hit the rock. After all, what difference does it make to B'nai Israel? They will understand that it's God who is giving them the water. But Moshe Rabbeinu inadvertently taught them, inadvertently taught them something terrible, that you don't have to be precise. And that would be the end of the Torah. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Moshe Rabbeinu, you did not sanctify my name. Sanctify my name is not to mislead the people about the precision with which you have to treat the divine directive. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to be punished. And as we learned in the Gemara, the punishment for Chilol Hashem includes, includes Misa. You have to die. And that's an interesting kind of punishment because after all, we all know that everybody dies. So if everybody dies, how do you know it's a punishment? How do you know that Moshe Rabbeinu is even being punished? But if you look here, the last pasuk, right on page two, the one pasuk, Dvarim Perk Dal, Lamed Dalet, Pasuk Zayin. What does it say in the pasuk? Moshe ben Meyav Esrim Shalom Moto Lo Ka'ata Eino Velo Natslecho. What is Lo Ka'ata Eino Velo Natslecho? He looked like he was 50. But he looked young. He looked like a young man. Why does the Torah say that? What difference does it make to me if he looked young or if he didn't look so young? If he walk around with a mate, with a cane. I mean, what difference does it make to me? The point is that Moshe Rabbeinu was walking, marching, going to his death. That's the point. Looked, he looked good? He looked good on his way to death or didn't? So the answer is that Moshe Rabbeinu lived to be 120. At age 120, Everybody dies. Everybody dies. And the Torah wanted to emphasize that this pasuk, this pasuk emphasizes that the death of Moshe Rabbeinu was a punishment. Why was it a punishment? Because even though he had lived for 120 years, he was really physically not 120 years old. But he was much, he was much younger. He was much younger. And therefore, 
And therefore, it was important that Moshe Rabbeinu, in order to be absolved from the, from the tragic uh, uh, statement of, of, of hitting the rock, instead of speaking to the rock, Moshe Rabbeinu would be absolved. Moshe Rabbeinu would be absolved by, uh, by the death, by his own death in Eva Hayadein, in Eva Hayadein, uh, Mizrach. All of which leads me to the following comment. In the olden times, people lived in small communities that were basically very stable. Because you knew the people you grew up with, and you knew the people you lived with, and uh, if somebody was a Talmud Chacham, you knew who he was. If somebody was not so learned, you knew who he was. And we live in a, I think, in a period of time which is different. That there's a lot of movement into communities, out of communities. People move from one place to another. <coughs> Every place is very densely populated. And in that densely populated area which we live since the urban revolution, right? in that densely populated area, there are all kinds of people. All kinds of people with different levels of Torah knowledge. And if you look around, you'll see that most people become models for some other people. Because it's not only the Rabbanim, as it was once. It's not only the ones who dedicated their lives to learning Torah who become the ones who answer the question. But everybody knows other people who are more learned than they are, who are more knowledgeable than they are, who they turn to. And they say, uh, do you know about this? What do I do about that? I don't always want to go to the rabbi. We go to the surrogate rabbi that we know. So that every one of us, every one of us, in spite of those we may think of ourselves, becomes, advertently or inadvertently, a model for others. People look to them. And therefore, strangely enough, Every single person is liable to do this Avera called Chilul Hashem. If you take yourself lightly, if you don't pass on the message that it's really serious and it's something worth considering, well then you, me, everybody, is liable to the transgression called Chilul Hashem. Because Chilul Hashem is about misrepresenting the Torah. So if you say, yeah, but it's not so important. Or you say, yeah, and you don't exactly know what you're talking about. Or you say, with action. You actually say, oh, well, uh-uh. So you have to be nervous. You have to be nervous. And the model is, the model is Moshe Rabbeinu. That even though Moshe Rabbeinu, in many ways, achieved a kind of perfection of human existence, and this is the position of the Rambam, who thought that Moshe Rabbeinu was, I mean, Avram Avinu and Moshe Rabbeinu were the two extraordinary people in, uh, in Jewish history. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu achieved a certain level of perfection and connectivity to God, nevertheless, Nevertheless, he was soundly punished or roundly punished for Chilul Hashem, a kind of Chilul Hashem 
that might apply to every single person, not in terms of, I'm not saying it does apply, I'm just saying you have to be nervous that it should not apply. And when someone asks you a question, you have to treat it very seriously. I wish you all a good morning. I have a question. Yes. Not good. Not good on questions. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm asking you so you don't get a lot. Um, in terms of this precision that you're talking about, do you differentiate in any way between Ben Adam Lamakon and Ben Adam Lachavero? Um, in terms of precision? And precision and misrepresentation in Chilol Hashem. Is, there, is it applying the same way? Say, like, should, is being as machmir on your chicken the same as being as machmir on your um, precise, on your chicken, it's precise on your interactions between other people, honesty, or that sort of stuff? I think that's a difficult question to answer. Certainly, in both cases, there are stages, right? There's things that are more important, things that are less important. But I th- if what you mean to say is, that we live in a world where there's a lot of um, a lot of details attributed to inanimate objects that are Jewish, and we sometimes find it more difficult to deal with other people. I think that that's true. I think it's true, but I think it's it's a human failing. I I don't think it's because we we uh, do the de- in other words. I don't think that the reason people are not nice to each other is because they eat a higher level of kashos and chickens. I, I don't think there's a connection. I think it's very easy to be frum about a chicken, and it's very difficult to be frum about interpersonal relations. They're very, very difficult, so you have to work at it. Look, you know, the Chavitz Chaim wrote a book called Shmirat Al-Hashom, a big book. And uh, it, was a, it was about Lashon Hara. And he considered the issue of Lashon Hara, issue to be very, uh, a major, a major uh, thing that people paid no attention to at all. And he thought that by writing this book, he would be able to affect the result. And uh, his son, he had a son who was a big Talmud Chokham, Arya Leibiz was his name, Re- learned the book, learned it, and he stopped talking. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I'm not sure that this is a suggestion that we can easily easily follow. But but I, I'm saying that you know the recognition. The problem is people have difficulty recognizing their own shortcomings. You may have noticed. So so it's it, people will say, no no, I, I'm really all right. It's just that somebody else did whatever they did, or, or people will say, uh, no, I did it for educational reasons, you know, like I wanted people to know. So you say all kinds of things in order to defend yourself. That, that has nothing to do with, what I mean is that has nothing to do with Judaism, and has nothing to do with a, a different hexer on the chicken. And you can't make that association, it's not fair, and it's not reasonable. You want to eat a kosher chicken, that's perfectly reasonable. If you talk Lush and Hara, that's not reasonable. So the chicken is not going to cure the Lush and Hara. But, but you have to make an effort. You have to make an effort to first find out what it is, 
and think about what the implications are, and then try to do better. It's, it's not easy. I, I mean, I've been, I, I sort of worked, sort of worked in education my whole life. <laughs> education is a hard thing. I mean, you know, you say, look, it's obvious. This is right and this is wrong. And they look at you like you're crazy. You know, <laughs> so uh, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult. Uh, people, uh, people find it very difficult to recognize their own limitations, as I said. I said before, and I think that's what you're asking about, I think. So eat the kosher chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yes? If death brings absolution from Kedon Hashem, and v'chai b'hem is the overriding principle that we're supposed to be uh, living by, then why do we have anything that we take death over instead of doing the Kedon Hashem? Why do we do the Kedon Hashem in order to then well, you might you might die earlier, which is, I think, what I said by Moshe Rabbeinu. For sure, now when you take the I don't know. Now, who knows? It's very hard to second guess what's going on in the world. But you're choosing death instead of doing the chilul Hashem. Whereas, if you do the chilul Hashem, death will absolve you eventually. You mean no? You have to do tshuva. You have to do tshuva. You have to yoba kippurim, and you have to yisurim. You have to go through all of that. So I'm not sure that that's such a good option. You know, sounds pretty miserable to me, actually. <laughs> okay, that's it. Thank you, Rav All the best. Thank you very much. Good luck to the What a wonderful show. Let's see if this is still going. Yeah. So this is recording.